I just expect a full bloom to explode, and we just can't wait to see what happens next. Thank you, Father. So thank you. Wow. It's been such a privilege to be with you guys. There's nothing as fun to be around hungry women. And it actually it actually makes speaking a lot easier when people are hungry, you know, rather than you know, just try to move me, you know. <laughs> the old song, I shall not be moved. <laughs> Sometimes I've, I've been in churches that you feel that. Mm-hmm. I, I always want to be moving. Growing from glory to glory. Um, so I'm a grandma. I've got seven grandkids. Awesome. I know, isn't it? Awesome. It, it is so fun. Um, and when my first grandchild was probably maybe two, not speaking a lot, but his little sister was in a stroller and kind of newborn, and we, my daughter and her husband and the kids, and my husband and I went to a park to take a walk. And we walked a little further than we expected, and we realized we needed to hurry to get back to the car because this park actually closed at dusk, which meant that if you didn't get your car out of the park by dusk, it was locked in for the night. So we're like, okay, we gotta hurry and get back, and my daughter and her husband with the stroller are way up ahead, and we're trying to encourage our two-year-old grandson to hurry, and, you know, he's two. He has no concept of hurry. And so my husband, he's a, he's kind of a coach, life coach type person. He loves, you know, to inspire people. And so instead of just grabbing him and running, he said, hey, Caden, let's race. And so he's like pretending like he's running and he looks back at our grandson and he's not moving. <laughs> he's found something in the dirt that really interested him. So he... He ups the you know, motivation. He goes, hey, Caden, I'm winning. Uh-huh. And Caden looks up and he goes, I'm winning too. <laughs> and my husband and I kind of looked at each other and like, that is a great attitude. <laughs> but God started talking to me about that because you know, a lot of times we think that we're losing because we don't know what race we're in. He was doing exactly what a two-year-old was supposed to do. He was winning at being a two-year-old. He was checking out the dirt and the bugs and the rocks. And one of the things that I've noticed in my life is if I compare myself to someone else's race, I'm always the loser. Yeah. You know, I used to look at evangelistic people who were leading all these people to the Lord and I was losing. I didn't lead as many people to the Lord. Even sometimes when I go back to Bethel, you know, because my I know what my calling is, but sometimes you still get insecure. You know, because you go back to our church at Bethel, and, and the testimonies are, oh, yeah, yeah, this person was healed of cancer, and this person's blind eyes were open, and, you know, everybody's sharing their testimony, and I'm like, oh, people got set free emotionally. <laughs> It just doesn't seem to have the same impact. But that's when I have to remember I'm not in their race. 
I'm winning too. You're winning too. You just have to know what race you're in. You have to know for sure this is what God's called me to do. It doesn't mean I don't evangelize. It doesn't mean I don't pray for the sick. But I have to know what race I'm in. So I'm not comparing. Years ago, um, God told me that, because my life verse is Isaiah 61, and it's all about you know setting captives free, proclaiming liberty, and um, opening of the prison doors, and bringing joy for sorrow, and all, all that fun stuff. And um, for a long time with that verse, I thought God was talking about setting people free from like addictions or you know getting them saved and just bringing them joy. And then he began to talk to me. He said he began to narrow my focus, and he said, "Your main call is to actually open the prison doors that have their real self hidden, so that you can let them out." Because that, that's what I overcame. It was like I had to actually open the prison doors that had kept me in in bondage to a personality that wasn't even mine. Wow. And so I love helping people find you know, their true identity. And, and one day, God said, you know, Wendy, I'm going to give you the same anointing that Thomas Paine had. And if you know anything about the American Revolution... He is actually credited with having to help win the Revolutionary War, you know, the separation between England, the king, and America becoming a, a sovereign country. And so I'm like, okay, it's been a while since I've done history. So I start looking up Thomas Paine, and I'm thinking, all I know about him is he was a writer. And all of a sudden it hits me, why? Why is he credited with having to help win the Revolutionary War? He was a writer, not a soldier. He wasn't a, a you know, general, nothing like that. And so I start looking up and I'm trying to find out why do they give him this credit? And I finally ran across it online. I love Google. And this writer actually says why he's credited with having to help win the Revolutionary War. It's because his writing helped the colonists change their identity from colonists to Americans. Because as their old identity as a colonist, they could not beat their king. But when they changed their identity to American, they were fighting a different battle. And I thought, oh, that's exactly what I love to do. <laughs> You're not fighting as a sinner. Sometimes we think we are. I'm a sinner fighting Satan, who used to be my king. And that's not who we are. We're born again of the Spirit. We've been transferred to a whole other kingdom. And until we make the shift inwardly, like even sometimes when I go to God, 
I'll catch myself, you know, because I used to have this really pitiful persona with God because when I was first saved, it seemed like the more pitiful you were, the more likely God was going to answer your prayer. <laughs> you know, I kind of thought if I acted too happy, he would think I didn't need him. So, you know, there was this pitiful, oh, I need you so desperately, God, you know, that type of stuff. And, um, and so I, I kind of, you know, got delivered from all that, but still occasionally I will come to the Lord and he'll say, Wendy, why are you bringing your dead self to me? You're a whole new creation. I need you to come to me boldly to the throne of grace as a new creation, not an ex-sinner. But we have to, you know, go after that on purpose. This is who I am. So, one of the things that I discovered on this journey is that if you don't practice your new creation, your new identity, you'll never actually define yourself by it. That's, that's good. You'll never see yourself as it. That's why I like to soak in prayer, and we're going to do that at the end of this um, message. I, I just want to do an activation where we practice being who we really are. You need to get to know you. And I, you know, I've been doing this for many, many years, but and I still don't fully believe who I am. You know, I. I talked a little bit about um, inner unity and because it's really a, a big deal for me because God began to talk to me about the fact that if we're not in inner unity then we don't carry the weight and the authority that we need to carry for years back in the early 90s <clears throat> when we pastored in Nevada Bill Johnson would come to our church and he would he was really a powerful speaker and when he would be done speaking, we would have people in our congregation come up and say, did you hear what Bill said? I mean, that rocked my world. And when he read that scripture, you know, it just got so much revelation. And I'd be thinking, we said that. Why didn't it rock your world when we said it? And God said, the reason it didn't rock their world when you said it is because the more inner unity you have with the truth, the greater weight and authority it carries when you speak it. That's why you can hear the same sermon from two different people, and one will rock your world, and the other, it's like, ah. It's like when we get revelation, we try, and it's so powerful inside of us, and we try to share it with someone else, they're like, that's nice. <laughs> Because you're still learning it. It's captured your attention, but you're not in inner unity with it yet. And that's when it begins to have this influence. So as people, the more inner unity we have, whether it's for healing, whether it's for leading the loss to the Lord, we have to actually get to a place where we are so convinced about who we are and what we're doing 
that it shifts things. You know, there was a, a time when there was a guy who was a, a clock, clock maker. Is that how you say clock? Yeah. <laughs> that sounds really weird to me. <laughs> And he would set all of the clocks, but they, because he had to one by one set them, they weren't in, they weren't synchronized. In synchronized. But by the end of the day, they would all be synchronized. <laughs> synchronized. <laughs> Help me, Jesus, this morning. <laughs> and he couldn't figure out, you know, what's going on. And the thing they've discovered is that whichever one has the the strongest beat, the, the greatest weight, actually everything else begins to flow in time. They've even shown that, you know, if, if a lot of women start living together, eventually all their <laughs> menstrual cycles will flow together. God actually has a beat. Yeah. Can I even call it a frequency? Whoa. Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> sound is frequency. Mm -hmm. yes. And I believe that worship is the tuning fork for getting our whole body beating oh, with heads. And the more inner unity we have with ourselves, because it, see, if our body and our mind and our spirit are not in unity, we're discordant already, and it's hard to get into His unity when we're not even in unity. That's good. But the more we actually believe what He's been telling us, the more we feel ourselves, we get into that unity. We feel that that peace, that love, whatever it is. And so I really think that sometimes we misunderstand what devotions are for. Mm -hmm. Devotions aren't to increase your head knowledge about the Bible or even your head knowledge about God. I think it's <laughs> to get into unity. Jesus actually said that they would be one as we are one. And what would happen if we as a people begin to, you know, get attuned? Because unconsciously, most people know when they're in tune. It feels good. It feels right. That's why we love to worship. Because all of a sudden, we're, we're lined up we can feel like we're in, in that unity. But we keep allowing the outside world to mess up our beat. But the more in unity we are with the beat, the longer we've been there, the longer we know the, the feel of it, then we become the influencer. Instead of evil influencing us, we should be influencing them with a strong, steady beat. It's not just about what we say, it's about who we think we are. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the 
that's my goal is to get there. But I, I just want to give a few scriptures because um, I believe, and you can do with this what you want, but I believe it's our every Christian's right and inheritance is to be able to see the unseen realm. I don't think God sovereignly decided some people get to see angels and others don't. But what I've discovered is that we will not contend for what we don't believe is ours. That's why no one goes after it. Because we have this weird thought that if God really wanted me to see in the unseen realm, he'd zap me. I've wasted way too many years waiting for zappage. <laughs> If I told you that I bought you a house and I told you the address and you went to the you know, you're all excited because you kind of know me, you know, now, Wendy said she bought me a house, I'm going to go look at it. And you open the door and somebody's living there and they said, no, we own this house. A lot of us would just think, oh, Wendy, boy, what a liar, you know, someone else says they own a house. But if I had actually handed you the deed, you would have fought for that house. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's good. Wow. That's good. God's given us some promises. But unless you really believe it's yours, that's why the enemy tries to keep us feeling unworthy. He's just hoping he'll think that there's some clause there that says you're not good enough for it yet. Do you know how often we disqualify ourselves from the promises? We think it's just us. I'm the only one disqualified. I'm still not worthy. It's time to stop disqualifying yourself. Because Jesus made you worthy. And one of the biggest lies, and I'm going to throw out a little theory here you can believe it or not, but um, I was meditating on why it feels like we're not dead. Have you ever had that thought? Supposedly I'm righteous, I've got this, I'm this whole new creation, but <laughs> I don't feel it. And so I, I'm driving one day and God starts talking to me about haunted houses, you know, have you ever seen movies about haunted houses? The theory behind haunted houses is that somebody was tragically, horrifically murdered, and there wasn't resolution, there was no closure, so the spirit, this isn't theology, right? <laughs> Movie land. So the theory is, is that the spirit of the person who was murdered doesn't have closure and they can't move on. And I'm thinking about that, and God said, Wendy, that's exactly what's happening to my people. Their old self has died, but we haven't given it closure, and the spirit of our old self is still haunting and tormenting your tent. Wow. Because wow. you're not your body. 
We have to stop identifying ourselves by our flesh and blood. That's, that's not the part of you that lives forever. Your spirit man. And yet your spirit that has been born again is living in this body. But the spirit of our old dead self is still tormenting you and causing things to move. You know, you know how they, they make, you know, like vases fall over and doors slam and, and it, it's still affecting the house. We need to just have a funeral. <laughs> it's so important to get that closure of, no, I have put off that, and I have put on this, and I am a whole new creation, wholly beloved by God. And then go after the fact that as a spirit being, you should be able to do what spirits do. <laughs> That's a weird concept. Wow. Why do we believe, you know, what's born of the spirit is spirit? Why are you trying to limit your spirit to an earthly experience? John 3, 3 says, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom. Do you know what that implies? It implies if you're born again, you can see. Maybe it's abnormal not to see angels. Have you ever thought about that story in the book of Acts where Peter's in jail and an angel sets him free and Peter goes to the house where all the uh, disciples are praying and the servant girl opens up the door, sees Peter, slams the door on his face, goes back to the disciples and says, Peter's here. And they said, oh, no, it can't be Peter. It must be his angel. Because that makes more sense, right? <laughs> I'm like, what world are you living in that it makes more sense that his angel's at the door than he is? That's great. Why is it that in the Bible it's so spiritual to see angels, but if someone in your church sees angels, they're weird? We think we're still caterpillars. God never requires us to do something that we're not. If he's telling us to raise the dead and heal the sick, it's because it's within us to do. Because we're no longer human. do we excuse ourselves I'm only human that's not scriptural <laughs> we're a whole new race created in his image but we're still living 
by the laws of this realm. Can I just throw out, you know, I'm, I, because I'm an introvert, I spend a lot of time in my head, and, you know, sometimes it's just scary. <laughs> so one day I'm thinking, why is it that after Adam and Eve sinned, and God said that, you know, you will surely die, why did they continue to live for hundreds and hundreds of years, and then it got less and less. Instead of 600 years, they were living 300 years. And then instead of 300 years, they were living 100 years. And I was like, why was that? You know what I felt like God said? He said, because they didn't have a concept of death, and so they didn't, they were so used to life, which is always an increase in getting better, that it took a while for their brains to understand about the concept of death. And then Jesus comes along to bring life. But we're still only living for a certain measure of years because we are so used to the concept of things wearing out and dying that we haven't actually taken hold of the concept of what life means. Jesus defeated death. What if there's more to that than we think? I don't know. That's just, you know, I love to make people as uncomfortable as I am. And then Luke 17, 21 says, the kingdom of God is within you. What are you doing with it? The kingdom of God is a whole new source of power. And grace. It's kind of like, you know, I remember hearing one guy say, you know, he was quoting the scripture in Ephesians 2 that says that we are seated in heavenly places. Mm-hmm. And one day he said, so what are you going to do about that? <laughs> We're supposed to do something with it? I thought it was a theology. I thought it was symbolic. What if it's not symbolic? What if, because... God is spirit, which means that a spirit doesn't know time and space. That's why it can live forever. It's not bound to time and space. If your spirit, is it possible that you can be in more places than one? Yes. Just asking. What if we're living so far below what we're actually supposed to live that it's scary? What if this is why we haven't truly overcome the things that we're supposed to overcome? You know, Romans talks about the fact that the whole earth is groaning for the revealing of the sons of God. 
because the earth was put under the curse at the time of Adam and Eve, and it's waiting for us to know who we are. I don't think we need more environmentalists. I think we need children of God to rise up and make the bitter water sweet. To release it from the decay of this natural realm. Here's a really interesting verse. I don't know what you're going to do with this. John 10, 9. Jesus says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out. Excuse me? In and out of what? It can't be talking about going to heaven after you die. And the end of that scripture says, we'll go in and out and find pasture. And sometimes I wonder if we haven't found pasture because we don't go in. Because we have limited ourselves to a realm we can see. And a realm we understand. Do you know that when babies are born, they come out of the womb and they have no clue how this realm works. When mom isn't in front of their face, they think mom doesn't exist at that moment. Because they don't have a concept of another room. And then they start discovering patterns. Oh, when I drop this, it doesn't disappear. It's gone to another place. And it can be picked back up. We get born again of the spirit. We're invited into the, the kingdom of God. The spirit realm is the kingdom of God. I'm not talking about going into the spirit realm of darkness. Right. Come on. I'm talking about the realm of the kingdom that is at hand. Which means we're supposed to be we're the brokers of the unseen realm into this realm. But we can't use it unless we see it, unless we believe in it. And we stop thinking of ourselves as just, you know, sinners saved by grace, and, you know, we're still just little tiny humans. And no wonder people don't want to do anything for God, they don't think they can, they don't know who they are. Another scripture, Luke 8.10, and he said, Jesus, to you it has been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God, but to the rest is given in parables so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Remember when I talked yesterday about the the scientist lady who she couldn't see dimension until her brain had a concept of dimension. Mm -hmm. 
We need to know the mysteries of the kingdom because that's what actually causes us, causes us to see. And it's why other people, they, their eyes see it, but they are not conscious of it. Remember that concept? You only are aware of 40% of what your eye actually sees. This scripture actually falls into that. So that seeing, their eyes actually see angels, but they're not aware of them. Another good one, John 10, 1. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. What's he talking about? New Ages. Yeah, he's talking about witches, New Age people. So we've been staying out of the kingdom because thieves and robbers have been using our inheritance. It must be all of Satan. Satan has no power. He can only steal from what is ours. Romans 6.11 Reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin but alive to God in Christ. We have to actually give ourselves a funeral. <laughs> we are dead. Oh, I'm going to do that. <laughs> I'm going to. Yeah. <laughs> what would happen? Yeah. And then you actually have to say, okay, God, show me who I really am then. We want to know. So does the outer world determine your inner world? Come on, come on. Or does, if the kingdom is within you, does your inner world affect the outer world? Because if the outer world is affecting your inner world, it's because you don't know what is in you. Not for condemnation. I'm still being affected. I'm just in process. And I'm okay with that. But it gives me hope to know that I'm going somewhere. There is an answer. There is a way. I just haven't completely you know, got into unity, full understanding of it. But at least I know now. If the kingdom is within me, it should be affecting my outer world. Yes. Mm -hmm. I'm going to quote Oprah. Sometimes people come up with great things. You know, she said, "You don't become what you want; you become what you believe." You may want to be a powerful Christian, but if you don't believe you are one, you will never be one. Wow. 
You don't become what you want. You become what you believe. People may momentarily rise above their beliefs, and they may momentarily sink beneath their beliefs, but they will always return to the level of their beliefs. And it gets confusing because we tend to think, oh, well, you know, I did reach this level once, but why didn't you stay there? <laughs> because you didn't adjust your belief system. I remember when, you know, I was... I was going after the whole concept because he said, you know, a lot of times if, if you don't really believe the promise is yours, you won't contend for it. So one day I got tired of living under a spirit of poverty and I started to contend for the prosperity of the Lord. Which went against a lot of my religious thinking. And I kept thinking, well, he just can't trust me to bless me. Do you know how many Christians believe that? I actually had a season where, when we were pastoring a certain church, there was a, a guy there who had quite a few kids, and he was such an, a, a bad steward of finances. He would get a job and quit for no reason. He was barely taking care of his kids. You know, the church was always having to help him out. And... He had this thing where whenever there was a conference in Reading, he would start saying, you know, I don't believe in God for the finances to go to this conference. And I'm like, yeah, right. Why don't you believe God to feed your kids? And, um, but the weird thing was, is every time he believed God for the finances to go to a conference, God would give it to him. And I'm like, God, we're trying to teach him something and you're ruining it. <laughs> We're trying to teach him faithfulness, good stewardship. These are all good things, right? So I'm like, God, we're trying to teach him something and you're ruining it. And he goes, I'm trying to teach you something. Okay. So I'm trying to teach you that it's not all about good, you know, as much as I believe in being a good steward and giving and being faithful, that's not why he blesses us. It's faith. And so I'm like, okay, if it's not because you don't trust me to have finances, then why do we always have just barely enough? And when we get a gift or extra money, something breaks down. Have you ever thought about that? And he said, well, your problem is, is you're only able to receive what you think you're worth. And as soon as you live at a higher level financially than you think you're worth, you always bring your lifestyle back down to the level of your belief about yourself. It's all unconscious. He said, even not just money, but like with favor and promotion, as soon as I try to give you favor or promotion, you get uncomfortable because you don't think that you're worth it. 
And so you sabotage yourself unconsciously. Because there's nothing more uncomfortable than having people expect more from you than you think you have to give. And it's not that you don't have more to give, you just don't believe you have more to give. And he still will challenge me sometimes. He'll say, Wendy, you're about to go into a season where you're going to have more favor than you think you're worth again. I thought I had this one down. But it's this constant thing of raising up my identity. We tend to think, well, at least now I think that you know I'm better than I used to be. But who you used to be isn't the measuring stick. And the, the people you admire aren't the measuring stick. We tend to think we're rich because we have more than people in third world countries. But what if you compared yourself to the riches in heaven? What if you compared yourself to... Um, Steve Jobs. Yeah. <laughs> when he was alive. Bill Gates. Yeah, Bill Gates, Donald Trump. We have to stop comparing ourselves to the natural realm. What's your value? I'll tell you your value. Your value comes from whatever someone was willing to pay. That's why the value of gold goes up and down, because when there's a lot, people aren't willing to pay as much for it. Do you know how much you were paid for? Maybe he knows something about you that you don't know. Maybe there's something within each of us that actually made us that valuable to God. But we are so blinded by focusing on our weaknesses and our faults, that we actually haven't asked the Father, what did you see in me? As a new creation, it's not about performance. When I had children, they couldn't do a thing, and I loved them. Amen. In fact, they were a lot of work, and I loved them. <laughs> Because there was something unseen within me drawn to who they were. And God feels that for you. So, what I wanted to do is actually take some time to give a moment with the Spirit, where we can actually come into that inner unity 
where we actually feel him beginning to define us. And that's my little alarm that I'm almost done. Instead of focusing on your weaknesses, I want after this weekend for us all to come away with a new value of who we are and what we are. I want us to connect spirit to spirit, not head to spirit, not body to spirit. How can we connect with him spirit to spirit if we don't define ourselves as a spirit? If we're not aware of that being that is within us, that is as different from our old self as a butterfly is from a caterpillar. It's getting to know ourselves. So before I lead us into this encounter, um, and it, just remember the scriptures about sight. God wants you to see the unseen realm. It's your right. We are not going to wait to be worthy. He says, come boldly to the throne of grace. He's given us an invitation. And we have to stop waiting around. Because in his presence is where we find our true identity. In his presence is where we find our value and our worth. In his presence is where we begin to feel the strength of who he is beginning to strengthen us. If the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, then we need to know exactly what that spirit's capable of. Because it's living in you to manifest. I'm looking forward to the day where people accidentally get raised from the dead because we are so aware of the spirit of life that dwells in us. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Did I spoil your funeral? (laughs) bad. What do we have to lose? We didn't see the power of God when we were bemoaning the fact that we were just lowly worms. And we're not in competition with God's greatness. He's not intimidated by us being powerful. We have to make him so big that our glory doesn't even cross our minds that you know God can be worried. <laughs> so I asked um, Sarah to just share a little bit before we go into the, um, the encounter time. So Sarah. Yeah. So just in the, this time that we're going to have, uh, I just wanted to quickly just um, talk about, you know, the ways that we perceive the Lord. And I've done this before here. Some It might be new for some of you, but, you know, the Lord, you know, gives us the tools to connect with him in the spirit because he's invisible. His realm is invisible, but it's it takes our ability as a son or a daughter to, you know, have that faith to know that he's communicating with us. And the ways that he does that are through a few things. He's given us 
our imagination, and he's given us the ability to see uh, with our eyes closed, or some, sometimes people have the ability to see with their eyes open, and it's called being a seer. You can see the spirit realm like with your eyes open as if you're seeing people, and that's a gift that some people have. Um, but when you're seeing, you see, it's like with the eyes of your spirit, or the Bible says the eyes of your heart. And so we're just going to do a quick exercise just to warm you up in this area. So close your eyes. And I want you to imagine the room that you stayed in at this retreat. Imagine yourself walking to your room. Imagine yourself going through the door of your room, seeing the bathroom, seeing where your bed was, and seeing the people that were in your room. And then we're just going to ask the Holy Spirit, what were you doing in my room this weekend? Okay, you can open your eyes. So that's just just a really quick exercise in, um, in that. And that's the, the main way that Wendy is going to use in this encounter time, just to kind of see what God's doing. Um, he's, she's going to probably say things, you know, imagine or see the Lord this or that, you know. And so you'll just be closing your eyes and imagining. And um, I just want to say how... It's, it can be easy to discount what you see and say, oh, that was just me. Or, oh, you know, you just doubt. And, and that is something that as you grow in doing that, you realize more and more how God is communicating and you believe in it. And it's real. It is so real. The times that I've had with the Lord where he's shown me something in my, the eyes of my heart or whatever, that um, have changed my life have changed my life. And I would not be who I am today without those connection times with the Lord. And then another way is through, some people hear the audible voice of God, and then we also hear God like the thoughts in our minds. It sounds like kind of our voice or us talking, but it's the Lord. And you can remember the times where God's spoken to you, and you're like, I never would have thought that. That thought did not come from me, because it never. I never would have thought that. You know it's the Lord speaking. And so, you know, that's how the Lord speaks as well. And he'll, there'll be a combination. You might be seeing a picture, and then you have a thought come into your mind. And, and it's almost like maybe articulating what the picture is showing you, or that the Holy Spirit is showing you in your mind's eye. And then the other way is inner knowing. So it's like kind of this, this just this understanding, and it's almost hard to explain. You just know. And some people who have this gift in their everyday life, it's like, I just know somebody's going to be pregnant. I just know I'm about to go through a new job change. I just know this or this or that. And some people have that. It's really common, and it's always been there. So it's hard for them to connect with that's God, but it's a totally legitimate way to hear from the Lord. And then the other way is sensing and feeling. Like Wendy talked about being a feeler. You can pick up on what's going on in the room. You can pick up what the Holy Spirit's doing. Oh, I'm feeling a sense of victory right now. That's the Holy Spirit. Um, I'm feeling depression. That's not the Holy Spirit. <laughs> uh, yeah, so just keeping that in mind as we have this little encounter time where the Holy Spirit is going to be communicating with all of you in one of those four ways or multiple ways at once. Yes. Yeah. The thing to remember is that we don't build theology out of our encounters. You know, that's why we need the word. We need people around us. Um, but on the other hand, for me, I was so afraid of being deceived that God couldn't lead. 
until Bill Johnson said, you know, we need to actually have more faith in God's ability to lead us and Satan's ability to deceive us. Amen. Amen. And just understanding that if our imagination was created for faith, if it was a way for God to actually begin to communicate with us, then we need to actually trust it. But be okay with the fact that sometimes you're going to be wrong. But God big enough to help you when you're wrong. You're still learning. You're in process. It's like when you were first learning to understand the difference between the voice in your head and the enemy's voice. There's a process that we go through. One of, um, well, the very first encounter I had was in the mid-90s, and I'd never, you know, really seen anything in my imagination or anywhere else. And I had gone to a conference in Redding, California. We were pastoring in Nevada at the time. And I went forward just, you know, because I wanted more of God. And I had this vision in my imagination where I was standing by a lake on a hillside, and Jesus came up to me, and we could communicate without speaking, and I knew he wanted to dance with me. And that was really hard because, you know, the church I got saved in didn't believe in dancing. Especially with Jesus. <laughs> That's not going to happen. But, you know, I've been, Steve and I have been mentored by Bill, and he talked about, you know, just lean into it, trust the Holy Spirit, see where he, got, he leads, and you'll sense whether it's him or not. And so I start waltzing with Jesus and I know he wants me to look in his eyes but someone who has a poor self-image doesn't really like to look in people's eyes mm-hmm. but I did it and when I looked in his eyes I saw two things one was that I could tell he totally knew me you know I've had people who I you know they like me and I would think to myself but if they really knew me they wouldn't you ever had that thought he was like ready to obliterate that thought because in his eyes I could tell he knew me completely. He knew every weakness, every strength, everything I'd ever done or thought about doing. I could see how completely he knew me and it was just like this revelation. And then the second thing I saw was unconditional love. Yeah. And it wasn't like, you know, I love all you guys. Come to love this church. It was like the love I have for my husband. It was a consuming, I want to be with you. Not because I have to, because I, I, I love you. You fascinate me. And this love just overwhelmed me. And I just, you know, I wept and cried. And then when it was over, I doubted it. It was like, you know, now I'm just down over the edge. I want God so much. I'm imagining things. And so I didn't even tell my husband about the experience. But we went back to Nevada to the church we pastored. And the first Sunday, I sit down, and a friend of mine sits down, and she goes, Hey, Wendy, have you ever danced with Jesus? And I'm like, How did you know? Because I haven't told anybody this. And back then, you know, nobody asked that question. Now you might actually hear it. So I'm like, how did you know? 
And she said, well, while you guys were gone, I was in the prayer house, and Jesus came in, and we started waltzing. And she said, I looked up at Jesus, and I laughingly said, Jesus, this is so cool, but nobody's ever going to believe I danced with you. And Jesus said, Wendy will. She has. (laughs) I'm like, But you know what hits me about that? Is he didn't say, Wendy's imagined it too. He said, we've danced. What if what we think we're imagining is sight in the unseen? What if it's not just something you imagine so he could get a truth across? What if it's sight into the kingdom? And it's actually happened. Who knows? So we're going to have an encounter. Yes. And we're going to give him our imagination. You know, the scripture says that if we ask him for a fish, he's not going to give you a, a, a stone or bread or, you know, scorpion, whatever scripture you want to quote there. The free. So are you ready? All right. So let's close our eyes. I just want to pray a prayer of protection. Father, we just want you. We want you. And so we ask that your spirit and the angelic would gather around us, protecting us from anything that is not of you. And we ask that you would give us eyes to see, the eyes of our understanding, our imagination. We take it out of the hands of the enemy. And let's just, you know, imagine yourself offering up your imagination to the Father. God, do with it what you intended it to be. A way to see what we've never seen before. A way, a place for your spirit to engrave on us the things of the kingdom. Eyes to see. And right now, in the name of Jesus, I speak over the eyes of your spirit to be opened. In Jesus' name. That even those who have never had an encounter, who think they've never seen in the unseen realm, will be able to see. And I bind up every spirit of fear because this is a safe place because we are here in the name of Jesus and where we are gathered in his name, so is he. So we're just going to relax. Sometimes to be aware of our spirit, we have to be less aware of our body and our brain. And one of the things that helps us to not be antsy and move about is just take a couple deep breaths because you want to relax your body. It's okay. It's safe. So just take a deep belly breath. (sighs) 
Maybe even just picture yourself breathing in the kingdom. You know, when Jesus breathed on the disciples and said, Receive ye the Spirit. Just picture him breathing on you. And you're just taking in a breath of peace. Blow out stress. Blow out fear. Just breathe in the kingdom. Because we're just going to relax. One of the things I do, because sometimes your mind is just racing and it's thinking of different things. What I do is I picture those thoughts or those questions, that logic that wants to come up and begin to teach your spirit. Because your brain is supposed to be a student of the spirit, not a teacher. So when your brain starts having a lot of things going on, picture a bubble and put those thoughts in a bubble and send them to Jesus and say, we'll talk about this later. Because this isn't about my brain. This is about my spirit, connecting spirit to spirit. Now just at the beginning of time, the Holy Spirit hovered over the chaos, over the void. And then when God began to speak, life began to happen. And I want you to imagine the Holy Spirit hovering over you. Maybe hovering over a place of chaos or a place where you feel void or not enough. And picture the Holy Spirit is just hovering over the darkness. And he wants to bring life. Maybe he's even hovering over a place of pain Emotionally, physically, picture the Holy Spirit hovering. He's ready to perform the word of the Lord. Maybe he's hovering over your imagination. And I like to bring the word of God when I imagine, because I'm trying to build a grid in my brain for a realm that it's never seen before. One of my favorite places to go is Ezekiel 47. You know, the river that flows from the throne of God, and everywhere the river goes, there's life, and on both sides of the river, there are trees that are always in bloom, always bringing forth fruit in every season. And so, what if that's a real place in the kingdom? What if there's an invitation? What would it be like? I'm going to talk sometimes, and I'll be quiet others, but if God's taking you somewhere, stop listening to me and only listen on him, to him. The reason I talk is because I know we're all at different places and stages. And, and some people just need you know, a, a, a voice to confirm things that God's doing. So some 
of you, you want to just go in that river because you know you need life. Because life is more powerful than sickness. Life is more powerful than death, than pain. And there's this substance to life that has greater substance than a germ that has affected you. to just connect. My spirit is not limited to this body. It's seated in heavenly places. What am I supposed to be doing up here in this heavenly place, Father? Some of you, he's taking you to the green pasture. because he wants to restore your soul. If you find yourself striving too hard, you know, you get into your head and you're trying too hard, the best thing to do is to pretend like you're a handkerchief. It stops the striving. I don't have to make anything up. I can be a handkerchief soaking up in the river of life. I can be a handkerchief at the throne room of God, just allowing the heat of his presence and his glory, his anointing to just saturate who I am. It's all from a place of rest. seeing or feeling. Just lean into it. Sometimes it feels like it's something we've made up, but if we lean into it, then we feel the breath of God begin to take it places that we know our brains would never have taken us to. No fear, just relax. not about performance. You're just going to connect. Oh, I'm spirit. There is no time and space for the real me. I'm free. I'm free. You're whole because you're a new creation. Just get to know the real you. You know, a lot of times I tell people, imagine that your body has died and your spirit has risen to be with Christ. Imagine what your spirit's going to do. What is it going to feel like? And then I want you to realize the scripture says you have died. And that part of you, your spirit that you imagined in heaven is really the real you right now. 
with those same capabilities. That same invitation. just want some of us to actually be with Jesus and to hold a funeral for who you used to be. That shameful person, that shy person, that failure, that ugly person, because you are not your body. So just Picture that person being laid to rest. And reckon yourselves as alive to God. Alive to God. Come alive. Come alive. Arise and shine. Just feel yourself shine. You don't have to see it. If you're a feeler, you, you don't always see things. You just feel the, the, the love or you feel the shine or the heat. Allow him to speak your language. understand the power of death, but we don't understand the power of life. There's a power to life. It's not static. It's not neutral. It's a force that overcomes death and darkness. You're a force. You're a force of supernatural nature. You're a child of the king. You're noble and pure. You're noble and pure because you have his blood flowing through your veins. This is you. This is you. And Father, I just pray that we will never forget what you have been teaching us in this time. And that we will be able to continue the journey arising into our destiny because our destiny isn't something you do your destiny is something you are I just bless each woman here 
of your grace and sight and ears to hear in Jesus' name. Amen. feedback forms and take a minute to kind of process um, and then in a few minutes we're going to do pair and share where you pair up with the person next to you and just talk about what you've been learning this weekend maybe pull your notes out or just an opportunity to share some of the ways that God's been speaking to you and they can be a listening ear and encourage you um, so that's what we'll do right now.